0: Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. But there will be no gloom for those who were in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Tamara and everybody. Gracious, that King of Kings song continues just to wrap itself around my throat. we will just keep bringing that one back, we are in the midst of an Epiphany sermon series entitled, Where There is Darkness Light. And we will, during the season of Epiphany, continue in one form or another to pray this prayer, the prayer of St. Francis. And uh, today, I, I want you to pray that prayer And I hope that you, as you pray that prayer, will have in mind the person that I asked you to think of at the beginning of this series. This is a series, uh, this is a season in the Christian calendar when it it sort of lends itself to a discussion of uh, evangelism and outreach, and I have asked you on a regular basis to be thinking of a name, a face. In fact, I've got really spiritual, and I said, perhaps God would bring to mind the name or a face of somebody nearby that needs you to figure out how to go about in a responsible, way, a responsible way, needs you to figure out how to go about being an evangelist. Have that person in mind as we work through the words here of the prayer of St. Francis. And if you need to speak these words out loud, if that helps you to focus, then feel free. If not, I'm happy to read it for us but I do want you to have in mind that name, that face, that person that God just might work through you to rescue, to bring a a sense of hope and future. Let's pray. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. And Heavenly Father, throughout the rest of this sermon, may we, may I, Keep in mind that person who very well could be in that next seat, that next cubicle, that next home, that person who perhaps feels like they have been plunged into a deep darkness. In your son's name we pray, amen. Perhaps you saw this week in the news that there are a group of uh, scientists, they call themselves atomic scientists, and they announced this week that mankind had crept closer to a worldwide apocalyptic event. Amen. Good. They even have something that they call the doomsday clock. And every year they monitor the planet and they say, okay, what are the, what are the movements that are afoot? Uh, are we closer to some sort of an atomic cataclysmic event because we've got the technology and maybe we've got crazy people in places of leadership? Are we looking uh, enough at the uh, climate situation? And they determined after looking at everything that yep, 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 we're only about 100 seconds away from midnight. <laughs> and when the clock strikes midnight, apparently, allegedly, Everything fades black. Welcome to church this morning. Uh, Glad that you are here. Of course, I was with people this week who would say, oh, no, we're already there. Oh, no, it's, it's already doomsday has come. It has visited our house. Man, folks, think with me today. Think with me today. We're going to do a lot of this today. We're going to kind of move back and forth between sort of this geopolitical scope of the gospel and the the biblical story, and that's the right thing. We need to be thinking about countries, and we need to think about these larger systems, and, and, at the very same time, we need to be keenly aware that doomsday is being experienced by folks in our fellowship right now. Right now. Clock has struck 12. And my hope is that God has placed on your mind and heart somebody, somebody who perhaps feels that kind of darkness. Let me me say it like this, though it may feel a little bit more weighty. Please pay attention to your surroundings so that you can be aware if and when someone around you is in a deep, deep darkness. Because I can promise you, if you become aware of a person that is in deep, deep darkness, you have your answer if you are praying the prayer, God, where will you send me to be light? There. There. Your Christian walk, my Christian walk, has never just, it's never been just about you or me, our individual lives. If, if we have sequestered ourselves such that the entirety of my Christian imagination has to do with me trying to finally get myself under control so that I don't do the bad thing. If that's what it is, if that's what it's been, then you have missed out not only on perhaps, perhaps a more important, but for sure, a more rewarding aspect of your faith, which is that next person. The next person whose home has been visited with cancer. The next person who perhaps just lost a parent or is in the process of losing a child. The next person who just lost her job. The next person who just filed for bankruptcy The next person who is incredibly alone, isolated. The the next person whose wounds are perhaps self-inflicted and yet still painful. Darkness, (laughs) darkness all around. And here's the thing, you are called to that darkness. You are. Now, I hope with the help of Isaiah, to give all of us, each of us, all of us, and and me included, some idea of what can be said, what can be said to a person who is sitting there in the pit. Hopefully Isaiah, and then finally Matthew can help us, but we, we will start with Isaiah. And start with this background information. Now, Zebulun and Naphtali. So I'm sorry, there's a whole lot of this sermon that will, that will feel a little lecture-ish. And I, and I apologize ahead of time. That's not my strong suit. It's Aaron's strong suit. Uh, but it's not my strong suit. But uh, just sort of bear with me because I, I hope it will all make sense. You, you see these, these countries noted, listed. And by the way, they will be listed again in the book of Matthew. We'll get there here toward the end. Zebulun and Naphtali, 12 tribes of Israel, remember that, when all the, the land was, was sort of portioned out to portioned out? Zebulun and Naphtali, those, was, those were two different patches of ground representative of, of each of them, one of the tribes. They didn't really count that much, to be honest with you. In fact, Zebulun and Naphtali are only famous because they are not so Famous. They were the places where if there was to be a battle fought, they more than likely would take place on that particular patch of ground, Zebulun, and that other patch of ground, Naphtali. (laughs) It seems like any time there was a conflict, it was always going to erupt on their patch of ground. And over a period of time, if that, when that happens, generation after generation, it, I mean, it, starts to, it starts to kind of wear on you, right? It starts to kind of wear on the, the collected consciousness of the people who live in those places. I mean, there's some real evidence that even by the time this particular passage had been spoken into existence, there's some real evidence that Zebulun and Naphtali had kind of been absorbed by other stronger entities, maybe they didn't even exist as political entities anymore because so much had happened, so much had occurred that they had kind of already been battered into non-existence. Dark, dark, darkness. Legend has it that you wouldn't very often plant crops, plant crops, this is important, in Zebulun and Naphtali because you never really knew if there was going to be a harvest and you never really knew If there was good weather and there was a harvest, whether or not you'd be able to keep it because somebody was always going to come in and conquer you and take your stuff anyway. In fact, another legend says this, be careful, not sure you want to live in Zebulun or Naphtali and have children because there is no guarantee that they won't be ripped out of your arms by whoever is in charge of your patch of ground. Sent away, sold off dark, (laughs) Zebulun and Naphtali. You've heard me talk about the disciple class and and I talk about Jason talking about exile. The first exile happens at the hands of this brutal Assyrian empire. The Assyrians conquered from the north. A couple of places that they found very little resistance, Zebulun and Naphtali. As a matter of fact, Assyria would absolutely destroy the northern ten tribes, the northern kingdom. For all intents and purposes, they would cease to exist. Zebulun and Nathalie were amongst the first casualties, let's say. Dark. Dark. Now, Isaiah 9 is written from the vantage point of a prophet who actually served in the southern kingdom, let's say right there around Jerusalem. Isaiah was an advisor to, I believe it says in the Old Testament in the ancient Hebrew, idiot king Ahaz. I think that's what they call him, idiot king Ahaz. Now Ahaz was the king of the southern kingdom. Ahaz, rightfully so, was very nervous, very nervous about all that he saw approaching the southern kingdom, the doorsteps of the temple in Jerusalem. Ahaz should have been God's leader, should have been God's helper, should have been God's king. But Ahaz is infamous because Ahaz <laughs> was willing to try almost anything and everything except relying on God in a moment of darkness. Isaiah was the voice in his ear saying, "You are an idiot." Isaiah was the voice in Ahaz's ear to say, you can't be this way. Trust God. God is trustworthy. Ahaz, I know that you are in a dark place. Now watch this, and Isaiah seems to be saying to Ahaz, look, you're especially vulnerable when you're in a dark place, and perhaps More than any other time, you're willing to try anything else other than God just to try to hedge all of your bets. It's a bit like the person who wears the cross around his neck and has a rabbit's foot in his pocket, just in case. Ahaz was the worst about that. Ahaz tried everything else rather than commit to and rely on and have faith in the God who had salvaged them before. So Ahaz was screaming at the rooftops, our king has to rely on God, our king has to rely on God, but he wouldn't, and he didn't. And so you have chapter eight, and the prophet of God, Isaiah says, look, I know that you're in darkness, but in these moments of darkness, you are choosing anything and everything else as a resource rather than the leadership of God. Chapter eight, verse 19. Now the people say to you, consult the ghosts and the familiar spirits that chirp and mutter. Should not a people consult their gods, the dead on behalf of the living? This is them trying other things, the other rabbit's feet that were around. Verse 20, surely those who speak like this will have no dawn, says Isaiah. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. When they are hungry, they will be enraged and will curse their king and their gods because those other gods are just, they're not real. They won't speak. They won't help. They will turn their faces upward. Or they will look to the earth but will only see distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. All right, pause button. We'll get back to this whole issue here we'll get back to the to the lecture here in a second but i want to talk again just for a moment about your connection with the person who perhaps is sitting in deep darkness what is something that you might be able to say to them here watch this i know this is going to be easy for me to say and sometimes it's harder to relate but here's one of the things that you can say to a person suffering deep 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 darkness here it is god is trustworthy And you say God is trustworthy in the hopes of helping your friend to circumnavigate all the different voices that might have great advice for them but is not godly. What you can say to the person thrust into deep darkness, again, disease, death, destruction, what you can say is, this is dark. Please don't deny that it's dark. This is dark, but God is trustworthy. Now, it might require you to testify a bit. By the way, that's a good thing. You remembering when God has been trustworthy to you is something that that other person thrust into deep darkness needs to hear because there are times when a person cannot discern, cannot tell you, cannot testify, cannot even feel that God is present, much less trustworthy. And in the absence of that feeling, they may need just to rely on yours, your testimony, your feelings. Man, I hope you have somebody in mind. Because if, in fact, there is somebody around you who has been thrust into that deep, deep, deep darkness, they really need to hear you say, God is trustworthy. What they don't need you to hear you say, God must have had a reason. Please don't say that. And if you've said that, please apologize for having said that. Like retract it, rewind, erase it. Don't say that. Because life happens. Life happens. And we don't believe that God sends planes into buildings. We don't believe that God sends diseases onto innocent people and children. We don't believe that God sends drunk drivers into the other lane. We don't believe any of that. We do believe. We do believe, though, that God can be present in that darkness. Okay, back to Isaiah. And so there is this deep, deep, deep darkness. It's not bad enough that the Assyrians have come and wiped everything out, but the people have compounded the darkness by looking in the wrong places for their synthetic light. And so they've been thrust into a thick darkness, But there will be no gloom for those who were in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. But in the latter time, new days are coming. He will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee, and the nations, all of that map that I was just showing you a minute ago. Does this sound familiar? The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. All right, let's go back to your friend who's in deep, deep, deep darkness. Now, this is going to be a challenge for all of us, right? But if we're going to take our cues from the book of Isaiah here and these words in the ninth chapter of the book of Isaiah, here are two things that we can say help is on the way. And help that is real. All right, here's what I mean. And we read, this, we read this passage and other passages like it sometimes, and we think it only has to do with Jesus. It's just Part of the reason I have constructed the sermon as I have is to make sure that you recognize that there were resources here for the ancient people of God that had nothing, at this point, had nothing to do with Jesus. It is the testimony of this ancient prophet that there would be, in short order, help, And real help, not just spiritual help. Hey, y'all, the gospel intends to operate in real life and not just spiritual life. And all God's people said, man, I need you to say amen there. Because in addition, let let me add to the list of things not to say to people. Here's what you can't say to people. Don't even pay attention to that darkness. <laughs> Don't. It's not even. It's, act like it's not even the only smile. Turn that frown upside down. No, it's cancer. No, it's 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 death. It's accidental. No, it's dark, and it's darkness. Christianity doesn't deny darkness. Christianity is a hope within darkness. And that hope is not just spiritual. God will just help you to just feel better about it, like a good massage. I genuinely hope that's part of it. I do. But the gospel is tangible. Help is on the way. Now, does that mean the cure is on the way? Man, I hope so. But we Christians are the odd people who in every situation, regardless of how dark, and that would include death, we Christians are the people, I've heard Jason say it a thousand times, more like 150 times, like literally 150 times. Even in the face of death, we Christians are the folks in the room who still have hope Verse three, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as people exult when, uh, when dividing plunder. Man, I know that you have been ransacked by all these warring, these warring parties. I know that all of that, I, you have known nothing but war, but I'm telling you there is a time coming when you will celebrate the ending of war. You will benefit intangible, helpful, real life soon sorts of ways. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor that you have broken, as on the day of Midian. Man, I hope you're catching that. Because the Midianites, we're crushing the people of God. Now we're all the way back in Judges chapter 6. We're crushing the people of God. And God says to Gideon, who is probably, in my mind, Gideon was the scrawniest guy in the entire village. And God goes to Midian and says, greetings, mighty warrior. And Gideon says, all right, you have to be talking to someone else. Said so, nope, no 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 talking to you. I want you to amass an army because we're going to go fight the Midianites. Long story short, Midian amasses an army, five digits worth. And God says, okay, we're going to go fight the Midianites, right? But you have too many soldiers, so I'm going to give you a couple of ways to kind of knock down the crowd a little bit, and then we're going to go fight the Midianites who number in the tens of thousands. Yeah, you got about 13, 15, 17,000. That's too many. We don't need that many to beat all those Midianites. Take them through a couple of exercises. Well, after you took them through those exercises, they got down two, y'all, 300. And not only that, their weapons look like horns, like musical horns. <laughs> but in a story that the people of Israel gripped with both hands they remembered how God used those 300 people, how God used those horns and the clay pots, and how God, because God was the biggest amongst all of the warriors, was able to capitalize on the faithfulness of those 300 and Gideon's faithfulness and defeat, defeat in real and tangible ways, defeat the Midianites, the point is, let me say it like this. The point was, regardless of what it looks like as you look across the battlefield, regardless of how many they are, and regardless of how big they are, because they are many and they are big, you have God on your side. You win. Hearkening back to that old story. Isaiah seems to be saying, remember that God, the God of Gideon? That God of Gideon, though Gideon is gone, that God remains. And that God is on our side. Okay, let's talk about your person again. Something else you might be able to say is, hey, that God is on our side. That God who cannot be outnumbered (laughs) is on our side. That God is on the way. That God is the reason we have hope. For all the boots of the tramping warriors, And all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. See if this sounds familiar. For a child has been born to us. A son is given. Authority rests upon his shoulders. And he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, by the way, I'm going to keep reading here. Yes, Ahaz would have a son. Son's name was Hezekiah. And yes, yes, if you will read, you will see that God has, in fact, been able to do some amazing things, kind of Gideon-like, actually, in and through Hezekiah to protect Jerusalem. Now, it does seem to me, though, that Isaiah has in mind Hezekiah and more. Hezekiah and more. This trajectory-changing God who was on the side of Gideon way back when is still on your side, Zebulun and Naphtali. This God will intervene in ways that are unmistakable and change your fortunes. His authority shall grow continually and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. This is a very important line. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Part of the reason you can say to the person who's been thrust into such deep darkness, no, there's hope. No, we can make it. No, help is on the way. It's not because you're so talented, and you very well could be very talented. And by the way, thank you for showing up in his life and her life. It's crucial. But the pressure and the responsibility Rest on shoulders that can take it. It's the zeal of the Lord of hosts that will do this. When you show up in somebody else's life and they're sitting there, there in that thick, 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 thick darkness, what you can say is God is able and God wants to do this. fast forward. It's Matthew now, chapter 4, verse 12. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He's frightened. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what had been spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to proclaim kind of what we said last week, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Please keep in mind what we said last week. If you were to go out looking for the kingdom of heaven, you might be frustrated because you're not going to find it on a map per se, but what we said last week still is true this week, the kingdom of heaven is anywhere that God is in charge. And perhaps God is in charge where you embody that God is in charge. Perhaps when you go in utter in deep faithfulness and you give voice to this hope and you retell, let's say, the story of Gideon and maybe work your way through even Isaiah. Wow, that would be, that'd be, that'd be super impressed. And then you get to the point where you say, look, this Jesus person that I believe in came, died on a cross, was raised from the dead not just so that souls could be gathered somewhere else, but so that life right here and now could be restored. All right, I got one amen from a very reliable source. It needed to be a whole lot better than that. (laughs) What I'm saying is, Christian, you are armed with the resurrection. There is no darkness that can overcome the light of the resurrection. You have an opportunity to go and speak to how this Jesus has done more than just save your soul but has actually salvaged your life. We have been working our way through this little book the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse, and I found a few more here that may, I think they are helpful, and by the way, this sermon perhaps is for you, parishioner, who is in that dark, dark, dark place. So maybe these messages, these simple little pictures will be for you, or perhaps you're not in that dark place, but man, you know who is. You have a family member, you have a neighbor, you have a coworker, you have an acquaintance, you have a friend, perhaps it's an enemy who is in this deep, 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 dark place, and you just don't know what to say, maybe this can help us. There are dark clouds, said the boy. Yes, but they will move on, said the horse. The blue sky above never leaves. When the dark clouds come, Perhaps this is something that needs to be said to you or that you can say to somebody else. When the dark clouds come and it's dark and it's a thick darkness, what do you do? You keep going. This is my favorite because you are going to put some skin and flesh on this. The horse says to the boy, you fell, but I've got you. You fell, but I've got you. Wait a minute, John. This puts a little too much pressure. Who am I to catch somebody else? You're the body of Christ. I mean, Dr. Green, we've been singing this for years. You taught us the servant song. Do you remember some of these verses from the servant song? We are pilgrims on the journey. We are travelers on the road. We are here to help each other walk the mile and bear the load. I will hold the Christ light for you in the nighttime of your fear. I will hold my hand out to you. Speak the peace you long to hear. You fell, but I got you. Here's the last thing I would say to you before I read this. Here's the last thing. Last little bit of advice. I took my friend Brent with me and we did some hospital calling this week and in the car we we did a lot of philosophizing. We we think we're gonna put all of this in book form someday and it's gonna sell literally dozens of books someday. We're just sure of that. But what do you say? What do you say when you show up on a scene of thick, 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 thick darkness? What do you say? Well, here's my last bit of advice for you and I think I think Jason would say also, as our pastoral care guru around here, sometimes here's what you say when you show up. You say not a word, but you show up. And in so doing, perhaps, and just showing up, that is a way of actually saying something very important. I got you. I will weep when you are weeping. When you laugh, I'll laugh with you. I will share your joy and sorrow till we've seen this journey through. So, Beginning of this sermon, I ask you to allow God to bring to mind the name or the face of someone, someone for whom you might be the light, the hope, the rescue of God. You're not God. You are entrusted with the Christ light. You are entrusted with the Christ-like. You are not on your own. I am not on my own, own God, but we are, and this is God's intention, the body of Christ. You were called to that person in anguish. You were called to that person in darkness. You're called to that person at his or her bedside. You are called to the hopeless. And when you show up, and you will, I know you, and when you show up, please know, please know that in showing up, you're communicating something very special, very important, perhaps even when your lips aren't moving. In so doing, you're carrying the Christ light. In so doing, perhaps you're even saying again without your lips moving, I got you. It's still heavy though, isn't it? And so we will eat and drink and be nourished that we would have the energy to be used as the tangible body of Christ. So if you're helping us, please come and set our table. Heavenly Father, as they come, we would ask that you would bless these elements and that somehow it would be more than just a piece of matzah bread and a sip of juice. Bless these elements, God, and somehow with them, awaken us to your presence, open our eyes to the presence of others who are in deep, thick darkness, With these elements, God, resource us, resource our imaginations, but God, resource our bodies, give us strength. Give us strength to be people of hope. Give us strength, God. Just enough strength to carry this Christ light around. Even into the most dark places. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet, all of you who are willing and want to participate. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet, to exit your pew to your left and to come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts of God, meant always for the people of God. And as you approach someone, as you approach someone holding a plate of bread, Make sure that you have your hands cupped to receive this gift of grace, this gift that can't be gotten any other way. As you approach a person holding the bread, that person, here it would be Patrick, will snap off a piece and press it into your hands and say, this is that body of Christ broken for you. Take that piece of bread, don't eat it just yet, but dip it into the cup. Lisa will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat and be nourished, be strengthened. And then would you please find a place to pray? Now, you might go to one of these side padded altars. Be warned, if you do, if you go to one of these side padded altars, we will will assume that you are there for a prayer for healing and someone will meet you there and pray that prayer for healing with you. And it could be a physical healing that you need. Maybe it's somebody else's physical healing, but it might be emotional Perhaps it's relational or even familial somehow. If you need healing, that's a great place to pray that prayer. And someone will meet you there and anoint you with oil. And Ken, if you could take this. Anoint you with oil representative of the clingy presence of the Spirit in your life. Perhaps you want to come to one of these front mourners' benches. We we won't actually assume anything, but if you come here, at some point, someone will, I will, someone will touch you so that you can have that tangible reminder that you are not alone because you are not alone. And you can circle right back around and sit back in your pew, certainly certainly fine for you to do that too. But I do want you to continue to pray. And if you are in that dark place, I hope that as you pray, that you will hear some of these messages come to you. But if that's not you, will you please pray for the person that God has brought to mind? And if God's not brought anybody to mind, pray that God would bring someone to mind. Someone for whom you might be the tangible expression of light, presence, and hope. If you want to, you can make a special trip up here to dip your fingers into this bowl of water meant to remind you of the moment of your inclusion and this people, is pe- people with the cause, with the calling, the moment of your baptism. That's what this is here for. You may ask yourself, well, who is eligible to participate today? Here, here's the thing, at a church like ours that celebrates an open table. If you recognize your need for grace, no other questions need to be asked or answered. If you recognize your need for grace, you're welcome here. If you can't come to us, Jason and Augustina will come to you it was on the night he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you and every time you eat of it, including today, remember me. Later on he would take the cup, the cup of the new covenant. Hold it up before them and he said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, including today, remember Remember me. And now all across the sanctuary, if you would, I would invite you to stand to your feet, to exit your pew to the left, and to come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts of God meant to nourish you, the people of God.